This is DevOps in Agile Way Podcast. Well, hello there. Surprise, surprise. I just start second podcast in one month. Why? Hmm. Well, because I can, right? The first one, last week in IT, is dedicated to something else. Together with my friends, we talk about different aspects related to IT, but through human perspective, right? This one is about DevOps, clouds, mainly AWS, CICD, and so on, so on. Um, but uh, I don't want to focus only on that. I want this podcast to be useful, informational, so at the beginning I ask you for your support. Raise topics which you wish to hear, um, and I'll be happy to provide my opinion about that, because I have opinion about many things, and uh, I'll be happy to learn new things if the topic will be not familiar to me. Um, what more? I plan to invite a lot of interesting guests to this podcast to talk with them about many aspects of IT and their journeys. I hope it will be very enjoyable and informative to you. Um, first topic which I want to touch and explore deeper is quite recent breaking news in the industry about serverless. Maybe you are even a little bit bored by this already, but I still think that there are many aspects of this which should be said, right? But before I will go to the details, I know very well that not all of you uh, know what serverless is and what are the limitations of the solutions. So let me give you enough, let's call it enough insights into it. So serverless is one of the models which we know something as a service, right? We have a few of them. I will do the episode about it, so stay tuned. And serverless belongs to the category software as a service. Sometimes we refer to this specific approach as function as a service. In short, we are responsible only for code delivered to the platform and the rest, at least in the theory, is considered as a vendor responsibility. So serverless is a cloud-native compute model in which we deliver the code to the vendor and the vendor is responsible to manage it and run it, right? All runtime aspects like scalability, execution, etc. is managed by the vendor like AWS in case of Lambdas. Three important aspects of serverless which I would like to be sure that you are aware of Um, Let's take as an example AWS, right? Lambda is a compute service, serverless compute service. It allows us to run code. I said that. But it is not the single serverless service. We have serverless API, serverless databases, serverless uh, queues, orchestrators, etc., etc., etc. So simply speaking, we have the whole serverless ecosystem in our disposal. And yes, I will do the episode about that. Second aspect, um, well, there is no magic, right? There are servers in serverless, but those servers are completely hidden. We don't know nothing about this part of the infrastructure, right? Third element, which has a huge impact on the application architecture, is the fact that this compute model is stateless. It means that when the runtime is finished, the state and the data of all the processes vanished, right? And let's stop here with that. So serverless has its limitations. It's obvious, I believe, right? And some of these limitations are playing important role in this story. Um, The first one, the one which is not relevant for us today, however, um, is called cold start. 
I don't want to get deeper into this. Enough to say call start is the time between the call of the request uh, to the function and actual execution of the main part of the code. Another limitation comes uh, from the biggest advantage. Well, yeah, that is the truth. Um, serverless is considered as pay-as-you-go model, right? In other words, you use it, you pay for it. You don't use it, well, you don't pay. All serverless resources are created when called. We can't say they are mm, kind of ephemeral, but this leads to the issue because serverless has specific billing model. And yes, again, there will be an episode about that. And the problem is that if you design your serverless architecture mm, in the wrong way, or your application has a very high usage, you will pay. Oh, you will, right? So we need to remember about that. And the final limitation for now, which also plays the role in the story here, is the limit for concurrent uh, executions. So serverless functions are acting in the specific way. Let me explain it shortly. One request sent to the application is consumed by one instance of Lambda function because we talk about AWS, so Lambda, I'm, I'm saying about Lambda, right? But it works that way everywhere. This means that if two requests are sent in exactly the same time, oh, let's simplify it and say in exactly the same time, it means that two instances of Lambda functions must be created, fired, right? And the default limit for the concurrent execution is set to 1000 for the region. Of course, you can change this limit, but still there always is a limit, right? Okay, we know what serverless is and what issues we can have with it. So it is time to jump into our main story for today. So you should know that uh, I am not biased. Uh, person, right? And yes, I am big fan of serverless. Yes, I am AWS community builder in serverless area. And uh, yes, I really, really enjoy working with um, a serverless approach. But I don't think that, you know, serverless is one and only solution in the world, right? So I have the opportunity and pleasure to build fantastic solutions with um, serverless for clients and uh, for myself as well but I will never say serverless only, right? So I believe my opinion is quite objective here. I hope I am right. So what it is about, the article was published, right? And in this article, we could read that Amazon Prime redesigned their architecture from serverless to monolith, and they saved 90% of the costs, right? Hmm, what? Well, honestly, it is enough to read the article carefully and you will know that what I just said is not the entirely um, the truth, right? So what is in the article then? We'll go through it very shortly with the most important parts. So there was a service for video quality inspection. So now one service only. We are focusing or zooming from the whole Amazon Prime to one service, right? The, uh, the service used AWS Step Functions, which orchestrate distributed components. Looking on the diagram presented in the article, well, I would say that 
pretty standard architecture. Afor mentioned that uh, the service consists of three main components and then scale came in unexpected size and that was the first issue, right? So they didn't design the service for that kind of scale. At this point, the team re-architected the solution. In the end, they landed with monolithic application consisting all of those three elements used before, right? And um, here, the beast awakens, right? Internet started to be flooded by I told you and serverless is crap, microservices are crap, and even I heard that cloud is crap, right? And I mean, come on, right? Why? <laughs> because one organization changed one service from serverless to monolith. I mean, come on, right? But let's not stay here. Let's have some arguments. So what we will do now, we will go through some aspects here. Some of them are even mentioned by the author of this article. By the way, the article will be linked in the description of this podcast, so you can read it. So first, serverless allowed them to start quickly and effectively. So this is a enormously big value for the organizations, right? They were able to deliver something to the market and check how it responds to their business needs quickly, almost immediately, right? And in my opinion, this is really unquestionable power of serverless solutions. And no one is able to convince me other way. Um, second thing, as I see it, they hit limits of serverless as uh, they didn't expect the scale. And this may be problematic. We can refer here to the something called software architecture or whatever architecture you want, solution, application, cloud, doesn't really matter. IT architect should be an IT architect and just the person who is, well, aware of things. So let me tell you a small secret here. In architecture, we have three important elements. One is the business need or business goal. In other words, the reason why we design a solution, right? Second is the functional requirements. These are the business requirements which support the goal or the need. Um, please remember that this is crucial. And finally, as the third element of this uh, trio, we have non-functional requirements or quality attributes as the new definition describes it. This determines how we build our service. So let me give you very, very simple and very stupid, oh, I shouldn't say that, very simple example, right? Just to give you the perception what I'm talking about. So my business goal is to have application where I can share my collection of chocolate wrappers. And yes, I have something like that. So I want to share the share it with the interested people around the world. For the functional requirement, I can say something like, my collection needs to be presented with different selections, um, with different data about each wrapper, um, information must be shown into uh, the web page, um, people can comment, and I want to have like a exchange room where people will search and exchange their wrappers if they wish. Users need to be able to log in with username and password or their, for example, Facebook account. Now, I simplified it, right? I don't want to go very crazy into details, but this is the part which defined what is my 
let's say, support for my business goal, right? And finally, we have non-functional requirements. These are the elements which describe the properties or behavior of the service, right? So latency, scalability, security, downtimes, and so on and so on. Generally, we tend to say that non-functional requirements are all those ETS in IT world. So to conclude this part, business goal says why we want to do something. Functional requirements says what we want to have. And quality attributes will tell us how it should be done, right? So as I said that, I cannot agree with those who said Prime didn't architecture um, their service well. At least I cannot fully agree with that. IT architecture is not a static thing. This is the first element. Um, there are moves in everything, even in geology, right? Modern approach to architecture and modern approach to the software is exactly like this. Do it in agile way. Build, inspect, adapt. Build, inspect, adapt. And this is exactly what they've done, in fact. So the fact is that this service hit a um, very well-known limitation of serverless. I am more than sure that they knew these limitations. So it's not the problem here. The issue was a scale and the cost which came with the scale. The question is if this was considered in any way during the design or not, we don't know that. So in summary, what Amazon Prime did, they redesigned the service to Monolith and saved 90% of the costs caused by the service. And that's that. And here we could say that this is the end of the story. But it's not. They reduced costs. But after reading the article carefully, I'm not convinced that this reduction is in fact 90%, at least now. Um, but it is significant reduction, that's for sure. But uh, still, I'm not exactly convinced that this is that big. Um, because of what? First of all, they need to scale EC2 instances. They said that uh, they parameterize each instance with different set of detectors. It sounds like asking for troubles for me, but um, I'm not aware of the full solution. Maybe it works, right? If I understand the approach, this reduced their scaling capabilities kind of significantly because you need to parameterize scaling in a little bit different way. So it's not, uh, not that easy. So scalability works differently now. We base on whole server capacity generally not the single function per request so it changed everything for costs well it is enough to understand billing model of serverless just shortly we pay for time of the execution and memory used by lambda right additionally we pay for number of requests let me give you a broad understanding of this easy example for single execution it is worthless to do the math but let's do the math for this example, we have 10 millions of executions. Each is almost uh, as long as allowed maximum time, 40 minutes and 30 seconds. And each execution uses one gigs of the memory. I did a very quick calculation for the price um, and I used the Frankfurt region for that. For one run, we will pay a little more than one cent. It's nothing, right? But for 10 millions and I hope you are sitting comfortably right now. 
For 10 millions, it will be $145,000 in scope of one month. Now, if we change one parameter and we say that runtime takes three seconds, not the 14 minutes, 30 seconds, the whole 10 millions of executions will be worth $500. So you see the difference, right? This is the reason why this is very crucial. Let me emphasize this, very crucial to properly address this element of serverless architecture. Um, now let's suppose this um, 145,000 and 10 million of requests uh, is counted by month. This gives me $200 for each hour. This means that I can have 35 virtual machines, EC2 instances, of the really big size M5.24xlarge. And this machine has 96 CPUs and 384 gigs of memory. If I consider the second example with 3 seconds of executions, this will give me the possibility to have one-tenth of this instance. So now, do you see the problem here? Do you see the reducing the cost possibilities with this kind of very long, very ineffective execution time of the Lambda function? So finally, I hope you see the importance of understanding and proper calculation for the costs um, of the application we built, right? We must have as much as possible data about functional and non-functional requirements. And honestly, this is the only the beginning of the journey because we need to revisit them and make the adjustment in the continuous way. So yeah, nothing more about it. No hidden drama, no conspiracy revealed, really, no serverless crisis, right? All those people who announced the end of the serverless are simply wrong. Simply wrong. Intentionally or not, doesn't really matter. Serverless is very alive and does its job very well, I want to say that. So with that climb, it is time to end this episode. I hope you enjoyed if you agree with me, or especially if you don't agree with me, let me know. I'll be happy to discuss it. Um, let me know what is your opinion. I'm really looking forward to see your comments for this episode. And of course, subscribe to my podcast. Subscribe also to Last Week in IT Podcast. Comment, and as I said on the beginning, let me know what the topic are um, which you want to hear in the future. Thank you, and see you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of DevOps in Agile Way podcast with your host, Abeyu Pivosh. Subscribe, comment, and do not forget to check our next episodes. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Stay curious. <laughs>